Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now, here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish Steed. Welcome to the At Work in America show. Trish, we have a great show today. We have a topic we really never covered on the show, all about supporting working parents and helping parents, supporting them while they're working, especially helping them get back into work after they've had a new, had a new addition to their family. Uh, huge topic, a huge issue. And you know what it, you know what it's like to be a working parent, especially of young kids. Oh, my God. Like, can you you recall some of those escapades rushing from place to place like a lunatic? That part is hard, but I'm I'm also excited to talk a little bit about sort of that reentry point, because I think having twins, it was sort of like I didn't have any other children. It was really crazy. So just having two little humans you're all of a sudden taking care of is, you know, even one baby. Right. It's all it's all so new. So it's more than just the mechanics of how to get back to work. It's also all of the other things about juggling in your head, how you manage through things. Yeah. So I'm excited. For sure. The topic. This is going to be a great topic, great conversation. Before we welcome our guests, uh, let's thank our friends at Paychex. This episode about Work in America sponsored by our friends at Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. After years of being stuck in survival mode in the global pandemic, HR leaders have been challenged to get back to business ushering in the era of dynamic workplaces. In our in the seventh annual Pulse of HR report from Paychex, you can find out how leaders are optimizing the work experience regardless of where it's done, addressing widening generational gaps and increasing productivity, not just for their employees, but also themselves. This is a great report, Trish. We spent some time mm-hmm. reading the report and actually talking about it for some other things we're doing with our friends at Paychex. And uh, fantastic report. Highly recommend going to paychecks.com slash AWIA and check out the Pulse of HR report today. All right. Great, great stuff. Let's welcome our guest, Trish, Lori Mahalik-Levin. She's the founder and CEO of Mindful Return and author of Back to Work After Baby, How to Plan and Navigate a Mindful Return for Maternity Leave. And she's the co-host of the Parents at Work podcast. She's also the co-chair of the inaugural Washington, D.C. chapter of Postpartum Support International. Lori is a mom to two wonderful redheaded boys, ages 10 and 12, and is a healthcare lawyer in private practice. Her thought leadership has been featured in publications including Forbes, The Washington Post, New York Times Parenting, and Thrive Global. Welcome, Lori, to the show. How are you today? I'm great, Steve. It's so good to be here. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Trish. I'm delighted to have this conversation, and thank you for amplifying this really important issue. I have to say, you have one of the most interesting bios that we've read. I smiled <laughs> several times through it. So good job with that, especially the the redheaded boys. Um, yes, yes. So I feel no, like we're a family. Right we're a family of four redheads, and I also deeply okay. believe in the portfolio approach to one's career. So yeah, it always makes for an interesting bio. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you for coming on and talking about this important topic, as Steve said. Yeah, happy to be here. We met uh, Lori out at the Benefits Conference, uh, Health and Benefits Leadership Conference, to say it correctly, uh, a couple months ago. She co-presented with one of her clients on, on Mindful Return, and it was great. Uh, I was watch. I introduced Lori, and I was watching the, the presentation. I thought after the after the talk, I was like, "Oh, this would be a great topic for the show." And so I was glad we we're able to do it. Uh, let's just start at the top, Lori. Like, 
what what's mindful return about really and what motivated you to to start this uh project if you will steve i will start with your second question which is sheer desperation start <laughs> allowed me to start this program um mindful return is essentially a community of support uh for new parents who are transitioning back to work after parental leave and for working parents who are on their journey and it's a community of support that allows employers to really tap in and retain their working parent talent when I say sheer desperation, what I mean is that I had one baby and went back to work full time as a lawyer in public policy and found it highly stressful. And then I had baby number two. I know you did two at once, Trish, but I did two with you know two years in between. And when the second baby arrived on the scene, my husband and I like to joke that one plus one felt like 85. All the wheels were coming off. Things were not going well. Um, and I looked around for supports for myself and all I could find was stuff related to baby. And that's great. We need all the baby stuff. We need the courses about how to puree baby food and pump milk and uh, massage the baby and all the, you know, the birth plan, all that stuff. Great. But I was looking around saying, where the heck is the course I can take about the personal and professional identity transition that I was going through? And how could I uh, better navigate that? And where can I get some resources? And quite frankly, all I found were snarky articles on the web that told me not to put pictures of my babies on my desk or that I might leak on my shirt. And that was not oh. helpful. So I set out to create what I wished had existed for myself. You know, they say that's where all of the best ideas come from, right? It's when you have an issue yourself and you're trying to really just create opportunities and solutions around that. I I can absolutely relate to because I was working in big four public accounting when I had the twins. And mm -hmm. I'll be honest, twins is difficult, but having babies a year apart has to be even harder. I would imagine because you're a, they're both still babies, but in different phases, <laughs> right? So I can only imagine what that's like. But what I'd love to hear is just kind of in general, how, how were you thinking it would go first, maybe because you were in a very professional you know, position and, and sort of, I'm sure had lots of work pressures on you. How did you think it would go versus sort of, you're describing a little bit of chaotic scene after the second baby? Um, and, and what were the reactions maybe of some of the people in your workplace? Yeah, no, those are great questions. I think with my first baby, how did I think it would go? I don't think I gave much thought to how it would go. I was like, oh, I'll have a baby. I'll come back to work. It'll all be fine. And I think a lot of people think that there isn't that much that's going to change and the person will return and everything will be back to normal. And whoa, those of us who have lived this know that that is not exactly the experience. And then with second baby number two, I just figured, well, I already know how to do this, right? I've been through it. And um, I didn't really understand how the, uh, yes, I knew how to do things. But on the other hand, all the logistics just multiplied, uh, you know, multi many fold. Um, in terms of how people reacted, with my first baby, I had a manager who was amazing. She was glorious. She said, basically, take the time you need, integrate back in as you wish. What what can we do to help you? And, um, you know, under that sort of support, I felt like I could navigate the transition. With my second return, I had a manager who said something along the lines of, oh, I had a baby once many years ago and there was nothing hard about it. And I expect everything will be just fine when you return and you don't need any additional support or anything. And that wasn't really a a wonderful message to have received. Um, but all of that really motivated me. The first thing I did was to create a working parent group or community at my organization. I reached out to HR and said, hey, we don't have a working parent group. 
can I start one? It won't cost you anything. We'll just get together for free brown bag lunches. And they said, sure. Um, so I sort of also began my career as a serial founder of working parent groups as well. Well, you mentioned something around having sort of this new identity, and I'd love you to just maybe dive in a little bit around that, because I think you're right. I think we think a lot about having children, whether you are male, female, um, maybe a first-time parent. I think all of that has its own challenges, but but specifically, I'd love to hear about the perspective on your identity changing, because I think you're right. I think a lot of times we think, oh, it's, it's just a new person in the house, right? Mm. But we've got this. It's more the I would say like it's like an operational or functional sort of approach to adding to your home, right? Yeah. Love to hear your thoughts though around how our identities change, whether you're a first time parent or a second time or a 10 time parent, right? It mm-hmm. changes with each addition, I would imagine. How yeah. are you how are you hearing about that and what challenges people are facing in their own identities? Sure. I, I guess I'll start by working backwards. Um you know, we were just chatting offline beforehand about the fact that this is the first week that my children are both gone for the week. And I won at sleepaway camp and the other is with my in-laws. And I'm sort of having that moment of reflection of who am I without the children being here? Who am I without that parenthood lens? And I think it's the inverse of what happens when you're returning to work uh, after having the children. It's oh gosh, who am I now that I have this other person I'm responsible for? Who am I now that my heart has just exploded out of my body with love for this other human being? <laughs> and how um, how can I continue to do what I was doing before in a way that is going to morph and adjust to my new identity? Um, we talk a lot in Mindful Return World about the leadership skills that we gain through parenthood that are so useful in our careers and our jobs. And I don't think that the popular narrative around working parenthood does a good enough job of weaving that in as like normal conversation, right? I want new parents to wake up in the morning and say, I'm gaining all these skills through parenthood that are really useful to my career. And I can weave these things together in a way that works for me. I think often we're looking at it as these two opposing, uh, you know, counterweights that just don't uh, mix with one another. And instead, um, I really love Dr. Yale Schoenbrunn's term work-life enrichment, where the work that we're doing in our roles and our careers and our jobs can make us better parents. And the work that we're doing as parents can absolutely make us better in our careers too. So I like to talk more about weaving those two things together. I love that. You got to agree, Lori, that you don't hear too much of that really, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in the parental context, right? At least, and maybe, you know, it's things are changing for the better perhaps, but I I can certainly think about what my experiences were like when, when, you know, as, as, as a younger parent or a parent of younger children, right. And dealing with some of this and, you know, I, I, some of it I didn't really deal with, right. Cause I kind of fell into that spot of, Oh, you know, a lot of times women moms take on so much more of the, the homework stuff, right. Was taking care of the kids and taking care of the house and things like that. So, but I, I always get the sense that that organizations, at least back then, wanted this stuff to be really separate. A little bit along the lines of like that second manager you mentioned, Lori, who kind of, I don't know, didn't sound like was the kind of person who wanted to hear your stories of 
pediatrician appointments and soccer games or whatever the stories <laughs> might have been, or just stress or just general, <laughs> you know, right. Or, or I need some more flexibility in my schedule, whatever it might've been. It sounds mm-hmm. like that person may have been sort of what I'm referencing to. And what I, my experience was, was you didn't really try, you tried not to bring much of this to work as a parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. There's sort of been a shift toward what people refer to as parenting out loud in the workplace and the opportunity to sort of bring your whole self to work. I mean, that's not just about parenting. That's about bringing things into the world. And I think COVID definitely shifted that. Um, So I'm happy to see that there is an evolution that's that's happening. Um, But you're right, Steve, it, it's an evolving conversation. I don't think we're totally there yet in terms of everyone feeling comfortable to raise the the things that are of top concern to them. Well, I think you're right about that because I think that right now we're just now starting to get comfortable as organizations in terms of having paternity leave. I mean, that's still Mm -hmm. fairly new when, you know, in the whole evolution of work. Right. And so it's like, when you start to think about all these things, we're still approaching it in a very, um, almost just a meticulous tactical sort of way is supposed, you know, am I offering maternity leave? Am I offering paternity leave? It's not really kind of digging into each of those topics and thinking about how am I really, or am I really supporting new parents? Right. Or maybe yeah. not even that, that just might even be too big. What, what are you hearing in terms of the employers you work with on how are they even thinking about this? Because to me, it feels really big to sort of boil down. Yeah. Oh, you've packed a lot in there, Trish. I'm I sort know. of wondering where to start. <laughs> on the one hand, I will just get on my soapbox for a moment and say that there are so many cultural issues around taking paternity leave that you cannot just rely on the policy being there, that um, we really need to de-gender and de-stigmatize the taking of parental leave by anyone if we are ever going to reach a state where we have gender equity in the workplace. There are so many caregiver biases, and um, to the extent we can hire someone expecting that whether they are a man or a woman, they're going to take a leave, we will be reducing those stigmas. There's also data that shows that when a man takes his paternity leave, his partner, his female partner, his wife, in many instances, has a career trajectory that is more successful than the woman whose partner did not take a paternity leave. So I think we got to take the leaves for all all sorts of, of good reasons. But if you're an employer and you're thinking, holy cow, where do I start? I mean, first of all, I think you need to ground yourself in the why do I start somewhere? And the why do I start somewhere is one, I want to retain people. There's a talent war out there right now. And in a lot of states, there's mandatory parental, not mandatory, but state paid parental leave right now. So people are going to be taking more leaves and longer leaves. And so you ground yourself in the why so that you can motivate yourself to do some of this work. Um, But generally speaking, and I don't want to make a list that's too long, but I have like six categories of things that I think employers really should be thinking about. Um, One is the employer's mindset, how the leaders are talking about leave, Um, you know, really setting a tone that leave is expected, um, an expected opportunity, uh, and that we're here to support you as you come back. We know this is a major life transition. We know that things are going to be messy and crazy, and we will help you figure them out. Um, 
Category number two is policies. You know, what policies do you have in place? Um, are they gender neutral? Have you abandoned the primary secondary caregiver distinction that I think is outdated and really doesn't belong in main policies these days? Um, third bucket is communication. Even if you have really great policies and really great support programs, how are you communicating them to the people in your organization? Do they even know that the working parent ERG or affinity group even exists. Uh, category number four is programs. I mean, there's everything from coaching to backup childcare to lactation support, all these categories that you can maybe just pick one baby step and start. Um, category number uh, five is community and connection. To the extent you can connect your working parents in your organization to other working parents, they're going to feel more nurtured. They're going to feel more supported and connected and, and engaged. Um, and the Mindful Return program that I run is a cohort-based program that can allow employees to connect with other people who are in the same exact transitional phase as they are. And then the final category number six for employers to, to think through is data collection. Do you even know how many of your employees are taking leave and for how long? How many of the dads? How many of the moms? What are the trends over time? Um, what percentage of people are using the different benefits? When people are leaving your organization, what percentage of them are leaving because of bad parental leave experiences? Um, you know, re you really need to dig into the data to to figure these things out. So, I know it feels like a lot, but like pick one thing, pick one bucket, just start because the 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 need for more support is really apparent right now. Or is there like one or two things that are just consistently either lately or always have been perpetual kinds of, these are the major buckets of challenges that uh, employees face, new parents face mm. when they're coming back. You mentioned childcare sort of quickly. Yes. And I, I feel like I've read a lot lately here Oof. in the U.S. certainly around the lack of availability and affordability of childcare being one. So I, I think that's got to be sort of right up there. And I guess employers can influence that to some level, but it, it is. Mm -hmm. So any, any thoughts on that? Or if there's one or two other things you even mentioned that, Hey, this is the thing for, for, for most of the working parents that we work with. It's, it's this thing. Yeah. Okay. So I just wrote down four things. One childcare, absolutely. Number one childcare was broken before the pandemic and it only got worse. I mean, there's stats on, I don't know, 10 to 20% of childcare positions have permanently been evaporated. Isn't the right word, but have disappeared since the pandemic. Right. And it's super expensive and there's a shortage. So, you know, to the extent you can provide some backup childcare, I know employers that actually provide on-site childcare have the best retention rates of working parents anywhere. I mean, Patagonia is sort of the shining star example, but there are others out there. Um, number two is at least for a lot of the working moms that we work with, um, confidence. Are people going to need me when I come back? Uh, what am I, am I going to be worthwhile to them? Even if I have to leave at 445 to go get my baby at the end of the day. Um, and just like reassuring people that they still have their skills intact. They are perfectly capable, wonderful leaders and they will continue to be so, but just like reassuring the new parents, um, of the continued leadership role that they can play. Uh, number three is probably another obvious one, but, uh, sleep like that first year, it's just one gigantic, uh, muddle, right? And so I try to encourage both employers and individuals to remember that the return to work is a process and not an event, right? It's a whole year long process of sort of getting back into a rhythm. And then the fourth thing that I listed here is 
I wrote the word assumptions, but what I really mean is there are very well-documented workplace biases um, that exist. And it's because people are making assumptions, either benevolent or not, about what the parent um, might or might not want. There are managers who say, oh, you know, I didn't I didn't sign you up to go on that work trip because I know you're going to be juggling your baby. Well, did you give the employee an opportunity to articulate whether they wanted to go on the work trip or not? Because yeah. there are many ways to deal with traveling and babies. Um, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday who's concerned that because she's returning to work after um, her third baby, her manager isn't going to be inclined to give her the promotion that she was scheduled for because the manager thinks she needs to take it a little easy after this baby. And that's not where her heart is. And so I think we need to just back up and not make assumptions and ask people what they actually want when they're returning. Those are all such good and and poignant points that I think if you're if you're listening to this episode, you, you should be writing these down because I think you're right. A lot does go into um, what people assume you need and they mm-hmm. think you know, and if I'm the boss, I wrote down as you were talking, I thought, what if you haven't as the boss, what if you haven't, maybe what if you haven't had children before? Or like we were kind of talking, you know, S- Stephen, I, I, my kids are almost 20. Steve's son is in his 20s. You haven't done this for 10 and 11 years, right? And mm-hmm. so or 11 and 12 years. So um, even with the best intentions as leaders, we might be really far removed from having gone through this ourselves and and the experience we had it sounds to me is like really different from what Mm -hmm. people going through this right now are so i guess my question from that would be what do you say to leaders who really want to be helpful right i want to help my people but i don't i shouldn't assume that i know what they need because i haven't done this in in two decades right Mm mm-hmm Yep. Um, Great question. What can leaders be doing now? Should they be reading the book? Should they be joining some of these type groups? Like, what would you tell them to be doing to be better leaders for the people who are facing sort of this phase of life? Yeah, um, we do a fair amount of leadership training. uh, I mean, manager training, rather, at Mindful Return. And so some of the things that we encourage managers to do are, one, to connect with other managers at their organizations who have been through parental leave processes to find out what some of those hot topics are. Two, to normalize um, an environment where the employee feels empowered to say what it is that they need, to really ask and say, I want to support you through this transition. What can we structure that's going to help uh, make that transition be possible. Um, and three, I think, is to to be aware of your own implicit assumptions and biases and just to learn to catch yourself. And you'll learn to catch yourself when you become a little bit more familiar with some of the areas where you might inadvertently be making assumptions about things. Um, you know, if your employee is coming back and is um, nursing, for example, and pumping, mm-hmm. it helps to have just a few facts about how... Um, lactation works, right? It's a supply and demand process. So this person needs to pump or their milk won't keep coming in. And just knowing a couple of those facts can empower you to be a more empathetic manager and help your your direct report to structure a schedule that's going to work for them. Right. Well, and even mentioning lactation, I think that things like that also are highly impacted by the stress that the, the new mom yes. is under. Or even if you think about a, a new dad as well, your baby picks up on your feelings, emotions, moods. Mm-hmm. And if you are stressed from work, 
you are mm-hmm. taking that home and it starts a cycle of now you have a stressed out baby who isn't yes. <laughs> you're sleeping properly which keeps you up all night so i think that maybe too it's a little bit of letting the the leaders know or just reminding them that if you do steps sort of proactively to help your employees who are new parents mm-hmm. um it, it actually breaks that cycle of stress right it will yes help support them at work, which means they are better able to handle things at work, which means they aren't taking that stress home, putting that off on the child and sort of, I would imagine, kind of just nipping that all in the bud, right? Yes, you're creating a a healthier, more well team overall, which is what everyone wants. Um, To the extent there are managers who just don't also just don't know where to start. We've worked with organizations to help them create discussion guides one to pass out to the managers and one to pass out to the employees that have like, you know, the top eight topics you're going to want to talk through before the person goes out on leave just to help them sort of flag things that should be on their radar. So there are things that HR can do to support the managers in helping them become aware of what topics should be on their radar as someone goes on leave. Yeah. Lori, one question I wanted to ask, because I I read about a story not a while back, and it was about, I believe it was the woman who became the, the CEO of Pepsi, right? And she like achieved this incredible career success, like mm-hmm. Fortune 100 level company CEO, right? Which is rare for women, honestly, still today, right? It's probably only 10 or 12% or something like that. And uh, it was a parent as well, had children, you know, mm-hmm. uh, married, had children, et cetera, et cetera. And she was talking about some of the sacrifices she made uh, to achieve, to help achieve s- such great success in the workplace. And she had a comment. It was something like, you know, you've got to stop uh, her advice. One piece of advice she was giving to, to, to moms, especially was to forgive yourself from some of the guilt you may, you may want to uh, carry on or, or, or assume. And something that, and it was a funny line. It was something like, you don't need to go to every soccer game, like, like little junior there or whoever will be fine. If you, miss one game or, you know, that kind of a thing is Mm -hmm. is that thought or that concept or that discussion come up a lot, uh, Lori, in the work you do or with the groups you've been part in or or help support now with, hey, forgive yourself. Sometimes, sometimes you might put the job ahead of the soccer game, right? And that's okay. Is Is that something that comes up? You're making me think that my list of four main concerns should have been a list of five with a big G word as uh, perhaps number one, right? (laughs) Yes, working parent, so-called working parent guilt uh, is a huge issue that comes up for many, many of the folks who take our courses. And we try to, uh, we have lots of different strategies that we teach to help folks to, to mitigate this, but one of them is to reframe the story that you're telling yourself in your own head. So instead of saying, I feel so guilty because I went to this work event instead of the to the soccer game, uh, to reframe that as I made this decision because, right? I made this decision to go to this work event today because this work event is super important to me in my career and because I know that other people in my village are cheering my son on at the soccer game and I'll be there at the next one, right? And so I think it's it's sort of some nuances of language. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast recently, um, the We Can Do Hard Things podcast with Glennon Doyle, and they were talking about guilt versus not guilt. And they said guilt is when you are in violation of your own values. This isn't being in violation of your own values. You, you believe in working and you believe in your son playing soccer and you believe in supporting your son playing soccer. 
they were calling not guilt because they didn't have a better word for it is not meeting society's expectations of what that ideal person should be doing. And so, you know, I I often use the Teddy Roosevelt quote, comparison is the thief of joy, right? As a working parent, I'm saying, I need to do me. Today, it makes sense for me to do the work thing. Today, it doesn't make sense for me to do the home thing. I have to let go of society's expectations that I'm supposed to be everywhere all the time, a thousand percent parenting and a thousand percent working because that's just crap, quite frankly. Um, and it's hard to live in a world where people expect you to parent as though you don't have a job and be an employee as though you don't have any children at home. It's hard. And, you know, may we change that narrative day by day, bit by bit across the country. Yeah. Thank you for just bringing that reality to it, because I'm sitting there thinking about when I became a new mom and uh, one of the female partners in the company I'm she in hindsight, she was trying to give really good advice. And I think she did, but she just delivered it kind of in a, a way that was not so good. And it was it was similar to what we're discussing. And she was talking about how, well, I have four children and I hire out, you know, I have a nanny to do this with them and a nanny to do that with them. And then I have someone uh, that I pay to mow the lawn and I have someone who goes and gets all of my uh, laundry, not just dry cleaning, picks up our laundry and washes the laundry for us and delivers it back. And all of us who are like in our 20s are sitting there like, <laughs> what magical land does she live in that she thinks, uh -huh. I'm going to do air quotes, like normal. Mm. Um, and, the, and it was around, though, I think the message was, as I learned as I got older, it is okay not to do what society or what we think society wants us to mother-like or father-like. Yes. Sometimes, yes. sometimes it's actually quite beneficial to have someone else mow your lawn mm -hmm. or pick mm -hmm. up your laundry or do whatever. And that's okay. So I think too, maybe as leaders, we just need to be mindful about how we're delivering the message mm -hmm. because it could be a very supportive message that's not being received in that way. It's being received as like, we're a little bit above it all and that we mm -hmm. don't really understand. And so I don't know, yes. you were talking about kind of the expectations and what society pressures are it just kind of reminded me of that and uh, that's probably what she meant yes exactly it is at the time though but see then i think it, it can really it can really harm the people you're trying to help if you're mm -hmm. if you're not careful and sort of thinking is the message i'm giving in a way in being delivered in a way that can be received in mm -hmm. the spirit that i'm trying to deliver it right so yeah yeah to don't make assumptions don't make assumptions. And also as the, the parent in that situation, please, please never blame yourself for how hard this is because we live in a society that's not really set up to support working parents. We don't have subsidized childcare. We don't have um, paid parental leave on a nationwide basis. There are so many things that we blame ourselves for not being able to hack it or handle it or juggle all the balls when in reality, they're basically just putting uh, all the balls are being dumped on us and we're being asked why we can't juggle them. So that's right. Yeah. Well, and I think too, yeah. it can be hard for people who don't have these responsibilities. There mm -hmm. are a lot of single dads out there. There are a lot of single moms out there too mm -hmm. who don't live in a two parent yes. home um, yes. that are struggling too. And I think too, um, coming from a generation where many of our mothers were stay at home moms, I mean, my sister and I joke all the time. It's like, well, I want, it must be nice to only have to worry about what to fix for dinner. 
you know, instead of, and, and maybe doing some chores around the house, let alone trying to run a business or be a professional or right. So yeah, I guess yeah. it's just give yourself a little grace too. Um, no, but, a lot of grace, Trish, yeah. every day. Oh, okay. a lot of sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Lots um, and lots of grace. I days. have a question that might, I don't want to like bring us down, but I'm going to bring us down a little bit and maybe you have an answer or you don't, I don't know. But I was thinking about when you're talking about return, uh, a mindful return, there are a number of pregnancies that don't make it full term mm-hmm. for various reasons and at mm-hmm. various stages, right? And yeah. yet these parents, and this impacts both the the mother and the father, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. These people return to work and have to sometimes not talk about it, hide the fact. What are you seeing, if anything, are organizations doing to sort of help people who have a mindful return when maybe it didn't... Uh, it didn't end in having a baby come home with them. Yeah. Um, thank you for raising it as such a hard topic, but an important one for employers and individuals to to think about. Um, I have seen organizations provide more by way of bereavement leave for miscarriage lately, which I think is a great addition. Um, there are also um, certain employers where parental leave is provided for stillborn births in addition to for live births. And so um, I would encourage employers to consider providing a paid parental leave for that purpose because you're going through so much during that time and you're going to need to recover. Um, I know Postpartum Support International has support groups for loss um, that are free that anyone can turn to. Um, I'm also a huge advocate of making sure that you are getting mental health support. And there are practitioners in the perinatal mental health space who focus specifically on loss in the infant and perinatal period. And so um, don't go through that alone. Make sure that you're finding other people who can support you and you know who can really relate to what you're going through. Thank you for sharing. Those were several I had not heard of. So I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that was great. Uh, thank you for bringing that up, Trish. Uh, I think that's something we did want to overlook that as well. It's, uh, yeah. it, it's, well, it was it's interesting. Pop- I saw it on a TikTok actually yesterday. I saw a woman who shared a very painful TikTok about she was full term and they mm-hmm. didn't know that that baby was not uh, wow. alive. Uh, no. it, it happened very, very much at the end of the pregnancy, yeah. right? So I, I was just picturing her and thinking like, my gosh, I don't even know how you would go back to work and address anyone, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a blog post on the Mindful Return website directly related to returning to work after loss. I'm happy to send a link over oh. your way that you can include in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, we would love to share we would that. Love to share yeah. That. The other thing I'd say to employers just uh, in conclusion on this, that topic is, you know, I tend to say, generally speaking, this is a celebratory event and, you know, treat it as such and always touch base with the employee about how they would like you to communicate news about the birth out. So, you know, maybe they don't want a photo shared or maybe they don't want anything said because they're in a tough time. Like make sure you're checking in with the employee um, before you're sending a note out to everyone. Yeah, that's great. I think that's good advice for sure. Lori, you know, before we let you go, kind of let's, let's, let's perk it up a little uh, (laughs) before we uh, direct folks to mindful return and connecting with you. You do a lot of really cool stuff on LinkedIn, which I see uh, all the time, which is fun. Thanks. Um, Which is, you mentioned you're doing that trial run of empty nesting. I don't know if that's (laughs) just for a week. 
I don't know if it's lasting through the weekend. Like, is it, what's like, what are you, is it just going to draw the bath and, and sit in it for four hours and read a book? Like, what's the thing you're going to do, you haven't done yet, that you're going to do at the house there? Or maybe out, you'll go out with your yeah. your, your spouse there or something. What's what's the one thing you're still going to try to cram in, but while these these two redheaded crazy kids are not home? <laughs> Thanks for for bringing it up a notch. So um, my husband and I, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary, but we didn't get a chance to actually celebrate it because it was like the next to the last day of school and everything was chaotic. So he he and I, um, we met in France on September 11th, 2001, um, but we started dating a little bit after that. I know it was quite a day to have met. We will never forget it. He's from New Jersey and I'm from Pennsylvania, but we met in France. Uh, on that auspicious date. And um, wow. I don't know if auspicious is the right word. Uh, anyway, no, memorable. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, And we started dating a bit later when we both wound up in Washington, D.C. And we had our very first date on the Georgetown waterfront in Washington, D.C. We watched Shrek 2 and we went for margaritas at Tony and Joe's on the waterfront. So every year for our anniversary, we go back to the Georgetown waterfront and we have a meal. So this year we're going oh, next, nice. uh, and to have a wonderful anniversary meal while our children are gone and we don't have to hire a babysitter. And we'll eat seafood at a place called Sequoia and we will enjoy our time together alone fantastic i awesome. love that well happy anniversary <laughs> thank you awesome. thank you thank you congratulations and yeah have fun with that this has been super fun Lori. i'm glad we finally after four months of trying to get you on the show <laughs> it's all good like, it's crazy oh my god no one's like trying to schedule like multiple people at the same time it's ridiculous but uh we want to make sure we give out the website's mindfulreturn.com that's simple uh, Lori's, I mentioned Lori uh, is on LinkedIn. She's really active there. Is there anything else, Lori, you might want to just mention you, the book again or anything else? Uh, sure. Like to direct folks to mention the podcast again, if you like. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do a Tuesday tip for working parents on Instagram at Mindful Return. Uh, the book is Back to Work After Baby. You can find it on Amazon and all the places one finds books. And our podcast is Parents at Work. We interview two moms and two dads in a given industry or sector. And my co-host is my wonderful husband. So we nice. have fun with that. Yes, I love it. Wonderful. I'm adding it to Thank my you. podcast uh, listens. That'll be a good one for me to have when I'm driving all over being an empty Awesome. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Also on, on the Mindful Return website, there is a tab that you can go to specifically if you are an employer. And I'd be happy to talk about the ways that we partner with employers to help support working parents who are going through the return. I love it. Great stuff. Wonderful. So get in touch with Lori, mindfulreturn.com, all the other places. Lori, it's been so great to see you again. Thanks good again to see for you. taking some time today and enjoy the rest of the Empty Nest Week. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great to be here, Steve and Trish. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. I feel, Steve, Thanks, I feel uh, like it's like Shark Week or something that you just announced. You know, it's hey, empty. Just here. I'm a disconnected from it, but I appreciate it. I appreciate <laughs> what she's talking about. That's a fun, that's a fun few days. Sleep late, maybe, right? Just do oh, whatever. Yeah. Don't worry about like, no, we're not having vegetables tonight for dinner. We're gonna have like <laughs> ice cream. Everything I like, right? You don't have to be <laughs> responsible. Cool. Um, all right. This is super fun, Trish. Uh, thank you. Thanks to our friends at Paychex, of course. Uh, check them out at Paychex.com. Uh, check out the Pulse of HR report. Go visit Lori to connect with her on Mindful Return and uh, listen to the show, Trish. The archives are, are just filling up 
filling up shows like crazy including our gen z show which is killing it by the way trish i know it's your favorite probably uh that show is killing it with jack and nick so congrats to they do you know what they do such a good job i just want to give a little shout out to them i was actually in the room the last time they recorded and they have such energy so if you've not listened to the play-by-play please check them out they put so much research time into each episode i'm just really proud of them they're doing a great job they're doing a great job so all right for our guest, Lori Mahalik-Levin, for Trish McFarland, my name is Steve Bose. Thanks for listening to the show. We will see you next time, and bye for now. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.